I'm Don Porter and I'll be doing the Bible reading this morning. The Bible reading is from St. Paul's uh, second letter to the Corinthians, uh, beginning at chapter 5, verse 16, through to chapter 6, verse 2. Uh, If you'd like to follow this on in the church in your Bibles and you want a church Bible, uh, now's the time to raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring you a Bible. Okay. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, we also appeal to you. Don't receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, At an acceptable time, I listen to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Friends, uh, please keep that passage open in front of you. You also find uh, an outline in the middle of your handout which will, I trust, help you follow along. Friends, as you're well aware, uh, Russia and the Ukraine have been at war for several weeks now. Uh, From what I've heard, it has been very nasty and brutal. Uh, There have been moments of peace where... Uh, civilians have been allowed to flee, yet at this stage there is no indication that that war will end any time soon. Uh, yet I want you to imagine for a moment what might actually seem impossible. Uh, imagine that the Russian President, Vladimir Putin, suddenly decided to stop attacking. Uh, as crazy as that sounds, I want you to visualise uh, If President Putin suddenly ended his hostilities, 
what would it take for the Ukraine to be reconciled with Russia? Uh, Obviously, the current war has destroyed peace uh, between them. It has destroyed their political and trade relationships. Uh, So what would need to happen for the Ukrainian president, Zelensky, uh, that he would come before Putin and embrace him in one of those classic Slavic bear hugs. What would it take for that to happen? Um, In fact, what would it take for every Ukrainian citizen to come up to Putin or their Russian neighbours and to greet them like long-lost friends? It's almost impossible to imagine, isn't it? Uh, Yes, Russia could end the attacks and immediately withdraw. Uh, They might send in demolition and construction crews uh, that could uh, completely rebuild the Ukraine, better than it was before. Putin could uh, send in aid to help those who are injured. He could send fuel, oil and gas to uh, help that reconstruction process. That might start reconciliation. However... How could Putin atone for all the civilian lives, all the lives that have been lost, the people killed during the hostilities? How might Putin deal with the anger of the Ukrainian citizens that they feel towards him for what he has done? Restoring that hurt and dealing with that anger seems impossible, doesn't it? Reconciliation in the current conflict appears almost impossible. In fact, you might have experienced such conflict in your own lives. A broken marriage, dealing with difficult work colleagues, uh, estranged relatives, arguments with someone who you once considered a very close friend. What have you done to deal with those hostilities to restore those broken relationships. Reconciliation between people in conflict is extremely difficult. As we've been reading through this letter of 2 Corinthians, we've seen that the Apostle Paul is likewise dealing with a broken relationship. The the Corinthian church, which he had established, he had spent 18 months amongst them, proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ to them. They had rejected him. They no longer listened to him. They had rejected his teaching and authority. He had visited him. We heard that he had gone to visit them and it was a very painful visit. Hard words were exchanged. Yet Paul knows the importance of being reconciled to this church, of restoring peace with them. And so... As is his tradition in his communication with this Corinthian church, uh, especially in this passage before us, Paul brings the message of Jesus Christ to bear on their conflict, on his uh, broken relationship between Paul and this church. He reminds them how God reconciles the world to himself. And no matter how difficult we might consider reconciliation, God has done it with us. And he continues to establish peace with people 
who live as though they are at war with him. If our creator is the God of reconciliation, how should we as his church relate to one another? How should this church of Corinth relate to Paul? Well, this week you you might have noticed again we're stepping into the middle of an argument, uh, a middle of Paul's defence concerning his service of this church. Uh, You see there in verse 16 the the then. Some translations might have a, a therefore. In the first half of this chapter, Paul's made a few points, two key points really, that... Uh, have implications for what we read here. So I'm just going to review those so then we can understand the flow of Paul's argument. So firstly, uh, he tells them two terrifying truths. Uh, Well, two truths. The first one in verse 10, Paul reminds them of the terrifying truth regarding the coming day of God's judgment. He writes in verse 10, For we all must appear... We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So every single person, every one of us all must one day stand before Jesus Christ in judgment. Uh, We will need to give an account for everything we have done in this present life. And what makes that truth so terrifying is that God's standard is perfection. Uh, And as Paul says in Romans 3, we fall short of God's perfect and glorious standard. So what should God give us? What is our judgment? How will he repay us for what we have done? Well, unfortunately, the just judgment we deserve is God's condemnation the guilty verdict. We deserve to face his anger. We don't deserve the breath of life that God has given us here and now. Rather, we deserve eternal death. And that's a terrifying truth, isn't it? However, the second truth that Paul has mentioned here in verse 14 is that God loves us and has acted to deal with the condemnation we deserve. So from the middle of verse 14, Paul speaks of Jesus' death in this way. One died for all and therefore all died. Jesus' death is a great act of cosmic substitution. Now you know in some sports, basketball, rugby, soccer, there is often a bench full of players waiting to be substituted. Uh, The coach can call off a tired player or an injured player and send another player out to replace them. Well, in the same way, Jesus' death on the cross is a great act of substitution. His death is our death. So on that day when we stand before God in judgment, uh, when all our sin and rebellion against God will be exposed... God will raise his gavel and declare, not guilty. A great substitution has taken place. Jesus has already died on our behalf. Friends, this is God's grace to us. It's a gift. Do we deserve such mercy from God? Well, absolutely not. Yet God, who is rich in mercy and eternally loving, 
deals with our sin against him through Jesus' death on that Roman cross. Two great truths with numerous consequences. And Paul's been unpacking the consequences in that first half. Uh, And he he states that he himself has been transformed by these truths. Remember how he spoke about himself? He says in verse 11 that knowing about this coming day of judgment and its fearful consequences, he persuades people. And at the beginning of verse 14, it says how this love of Jesus seen in his substitutionary death compels him. It compels him to love Jesus, uh, the one who has died for us and raised for us. So these truths have transformed Paul and they also transform us. And so in verses 16 and 17, uh, Paul explains how these transformational truths also bring about radical re- uh, reconsideration in our lives. Despite what we might see in front of us, there is a radically different perspective we have of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Have a look again at verses 16 and 17. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. There are two different ways to perceive someone. Firstly, from a worldly view, uh, a worldly perspective, um, we, we can view people, like imagine the, the Apostle Paul. What would the Apostle Paul look like if he was sitting here amongst us? If we view Paul in this manner, this worldly perspective, you would see a beaten up man. A man who is continually in prison. A man chased out of towns. A man who has been constantly stoned. Well, likewise, if you view Jesus in this same way, you would see a man rejected by his own people, a man beaten and mocked and whipped by the Romans. You'll see a criminal, a man hanging from a Roman cross, being crucified like a criminal. From such a perspective, Jesus and Paul are not worth listening to, are they? Uh, For such a perspective, perspective cannot perceive an amazing spiritual reality. Listen to how Paul makes the same point back in chapter 4. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For the momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. The worldly perspective can only view weakness. It only looks at our jars of clay, our earthly uh, temporary tents, our broken bodies. However, if we perceive our brothers and sisters in Christ in terms of these transformational truths, a perspective shaped by faith, we actually perceive one another as new creations. We see Jesus 
in all his glory. Uh, as the Lord over this creation, as the risen saviour from sin. That's how we now perceive Jesus Christ. And because we have been united to Jesus Christ, because his death has been a substitute for our own, we have been transformed. We have been metamorphosized into something completely different, something eternal, something glorious. Friends, we see those around us uh, who trust in Jesus as new creations. We have been forgiven of our sin. God's Holy Spirit dwells within us. These are some of the elements of this transformation that Paul has already been talking about in this letter. Those in Christ are now new creations. That is how God sees you. Is that how you see yourself? We are new creations. Is that how you perceive those around you? Especially those of, uh, that you have... Oh, let me get this right. Key, key question. Is that how you perceive the Christians around you, especially with the ones that you're in conflict with? A key question we, we need to ask ourselves is why is persuading people so important? One, at one time, Paul wasn't convinced it was. He went around travelling uh, traveling around killing people, killing Christians, until he met Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. That's when he became a new creation. Christ's love and God's transformation of his life compelled him to persuade others. He desires for all those who will stand before God being condemned to turn to Jesus. He wants to bring about a great transformation. He wants people to become new creations. That is why we persuade people about Jesus. So sinners may become new creations, transformed, forgiven, united with Christ their Saviour. There is another reason why we persuade people about Jesus, uh, another reason why it's so important. Persuading people is important because that is what God is doing here and now. That is what is important to God. Paul tells us from verse 18 how all these things, this transformation, this substitution, all these things are God's initiative because God has an important task to achieve. Uh, let's read again verses 18 and 19. Uh, the, the CSB doesn't, I think it's Mr. Trick here. I th Paul actually says all this, which I think helps the logical flow in the passage here. So he says, all this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he, was, he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So God has taken the initiative. God has done all this. Seeing us dead in our sin and on the path to condemnation on the day of judgment, 
God is compelled by his own love and mercy to do something. And we see he's acted in and is continuing to act in two connected ways. On the one hand, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. Past tense. Uh, You see that he states that at the beginning of verses 18 and 19. Because of our sin, uh, our rejection of our creator, we were at war with God. However, as Paul's already stated back in verse 14, through Christ's death, the trenches which separate us from God, uh, the judgment we deserve for our hostility, the, the, the sin we've committed against him, it is not held against us. God does not count our trespasses against us. Now, you might say uh, currently Russia is trespassing on the Ukrainian land. Uh, They're attacking land which internationally everyone seems to recognise, well, not seem, everyone recognises is Ukrainian land. Russia is trespassing on it. In the same way, we metaphorically trespass on God's territory. We don't honour God as our creator, uh, but rather we make ourselves lord of our own lives. Again, it's something we deserve condemnation for. Uh, God, but God does not count our trespasses against us. Our sin, which is responsible for the breakdown in our relationship and the conflict with him, is dealt with. And so God has acted to establish peace. God has reconciled sinners to himself. And again, God has achieved this through the death of Jesus on the cross. So on the one hand, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. On the other hand, there is an ongoing aspect of this reconciliation process. Reconciliation needs to be completed. And you see in the second half of both verses 18 and 19, Paul tells us about something we have been given He speaks of this gift in terms of a service and a message. People with a task to announce reconciliation and the contents are a peace agreement. Uh, We we might imagine again President Putin miraculously stops his attack and at some point uh, he makes that decision to end hostilities but He needs to declare to the world. He needs to announce his plans for reconciliation. He needs to announce peace. He needs to wave the white flag. He needs to tell his troops to withdraw. President Putin needs to persuade the world through a message of reconciliation. It is through the message about Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that God reconciles people to himself. Uh, And we hear of these transformation truths, this turning in repentance before God in fear of judgment, of turning to Jesus as our substitutional saviour. We've heard that time and again in, in these chapters, God declaring us not guilty. That is the message that God commits to us. We have this privilege of proclaiming God's message of reconciliation. 
calling sinners to repentance and faith in Jesus. Why does persuading people matter so much? Well, firstly, because God has reconciled the world to himself through Jesus. That is what God has done. And secondly, he has given this message so people can hear it, that people can respond to the announcement of peace. The announcement of the end of hostilities needs to be spread now as we point people to Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Paul gives us an example of how this message works in verses 20 and 21. Uh, He shows how he persuades and how he uh, appeals to people. And of course it's appropriate here that he uses the language of diplomacy. He writes in verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, since, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul explains our service to God in bringing reconciliation in terms of being ambassadors. Now you might picture the ambassadors of the world going to visit Putin at the moment. I would hate to have that job at the moment, that'd be a tough one. Because every time they go at the moment, all they're doing is saying, well, we're going to cut off this and we're putting sanctions on that. Uh, That's what ambassadors do. They're they're involved in that act of diplomacy uh, and maybe they get the opportunity to appeal to him. Be reconciled to the Ukraine. Maybe they get that opportunity occasionally. Well, God uses us in passing on his diplomatic message to sinners concerning reconciliation. And the message by which we persuade people is extremely simple, isn't it? There's nothing too complicated to it. It's a call to be reconciled to God. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Paul has explained this simple message about Jesus so many times in these chapters and, and really, again, as he gets to verse 21, I, I get this sense he can't contain himself. He tells us a, the same message again, explaining uh, Jesus' cosmic substitution. Jesus became sin for us. Uh, it's an extraordinary idea, isn't it? Jesus became sin for us. Jesus takes on that condemnation. He takes on that wrath of God the just punishment that we deserve so that we might be declared right with God, not guilty. Now the rubber hits the proverbial road for the Corinthians in their relationship with Paul in chapter 6. If God shows us such extreme grace, if he's reconciled us, if he's given us this diplomatic task of proclaiming this news about Jesus, calling people to be reconciled to God, listen to how Paul says they should apply it to their lives in verse 1. Working together with him, we also appeal to you. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. It would be a real kick in the guts if God has taken such costly measures, 
if he's taken an initiative, if he's reconciled us to himself, for the Corinthians then not to seek reconciliation with Paul. Jesus died. God himself came to deal with our trespasses. We accept this grace, seeking to, seeking to be restored with God. Yet if the Corinthians could not take that next step and be reconciled to Paul, they have received God's grace in vain. And Paul quotes Isaiah 49 verse 2 here. Uh, at that time uh, of the prophet Isaiah, God was telling Israel how he would send his servant to restore, restore them after judgment. God would end hostilities and bring blessing again. And as Paul looks back at that cross, he can declare how Isaiah's prophecy has now been fulfilled. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Friends, now is the day to end hostilities. If the Corinthians understand and accept God's grace to us in Jesus, then they must likewise seek reconciliation with Paul. Now there are two ways I would like us to consider, consider applying this passage to our own lives. The first application is for those who are of us who already know God's grace to us in Jesus. And there's two points worth making. If you are convinced of the reality of the God's just day of judgment, if you know the love of Jesus demonstrated in his substitutional death for us, if you have experienced the transformation and freedom from sin which comes from being recon reconciled to God, then persuade people with the simple message, be reconciled to God. It is our privilege to be God's servants, to be his ambassadors. Now is the time for diplomacy because God is working hard himself to reconcile the world through this message concerning Jesus Christ. So we work together with him. Uh, the second point for those who know God's grace, if you know you, you, if you know you have to perceive one another as new creations, if you know we must, receive, we must not receive God's grace in vain, then be reconciled to one another. Paul's message to the Corinthians is the same message for us. If your marriage to another Christian is broken, God is calling you to seek reconciliation. If your Christian friendships have become sour through ill-spoken words, I know that one, you probably know that one too. God is calling you to seek reconciliation. No one is denying that such a task is easy or without significant cost. But here God speaks through Paul. Do not receive God's grace in vain. Uh, from my experience, such a task is even more challenging when seeking to reconcile people who, who do not even know God. Uh, if you need to reconcile with uh, someone who doesn't 
know God or has rejected God, that is tough. I'm not sure Paul is exactly uh, talking about that here, but that is something that might be on your heart after reading this passage today. I will pray for you in a minute uh, because conflict with another Christian is tough enough and we know reconciliation. We know what God has done for us. Uh, Seeking reconciliation with someone who has no desire to be reconciled uh, because they do not know God, that's even tougher. How about I firstly pray for us and then we will talk to those who, who do not know God, who might be still at war with him. So let me pray for us. Our Father, we are struck once again by the wonder of your love and mercy towards us. We praise you for the reconciliation you've achieved for us through Jesus. We ask, Father, you will compel us to love others, to fear you and so persuade those who do not know you to be reconciled to you. We also ask you, our God, that you will help us to be reconciled with one another. We particularly pray for our brothers and sisters in broken marriages and relationships that they might have the boldness and courage to pursue reconciliation with one another. Please bring peace and forgiveness. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, you might not know God's grace personally. You might, still, you might be someone who's joined us here who is still at war with God. Did you hear God speaking to you today through Paul? God has declared a time of amnesty. Now is the time to hear God's message. Be reconciled to him. Turn to Jesus by trusting in his death for your sin. Today is a day of salvation. So if you do not go know God, if you do not trust in his son, Jesus Christ, rely on his death for your own, then today you need to metaphorically lay down your arms. Acknowledge God as your creator who gave you the breath of life. Rely on Jesus' death as the only way to be reconciled to God, the only way to be declared not guilty on that coming day of judgment and live at peace with God in the manner that he desires. I'm going to pray for you uh, in a moment and you might like to repeat what I pray in your own head. It's a prayer in which you will say sorry to God for your life of hostility and rejection of him. It's an opportunity to declare your dependence on Jesus and you will also ask God to help you live in a manner that he desires. If this, if this is you, please pray this prayer in your head. Let me pray for you. Our Father and our Creator, I know I have not responded I respected you as the one who gave me life. I know I do not deserve your forgiveness for my rebellion and war against you. Yet I thank you for your undeserved mercy to me and your love for me, demonstrated when Jesus died on the cross on my behalf. Father, please forgive me. Reconcile me to yourself. Help me to live in a manner you desire and not 
just what I want to do. Help me to follow Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. In his name I pray. Amen. If you agree with that prayer, if you said Amen, I want to assure you that God hears your prayers of repentance and faith, just like we prayed. Uh, And the scriptures are clear. There is no condemnation for those who are reconciled to God through Jesus. Uh, You are a new creation. You have been forgiven. So I want to invite you to take some next steps. I want to invite you firstly to fill in a connection card. Use the QR code uh, on the back to let us know that you prayed that prayer this morning. And tomorrow either myself or one of the other pastors here uh, will call you up to help you uh, make those next steps in following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour.